Good morning. Thank you very much for the invitation to speak uh, to your church. And it's also very much uh, a part of me as well, even as I uh, work in Johor Bahru and uh, serve over here. Okay. Okay, it's on now. All right. Okay. So I would uh, move the computer a little bit because I normally look, like to look at the screen where I'm heading. Okay, today we're going to cover the subject, uh, the question which the rich young ruler, um, he's, he's not named, uh, the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10, verse uh, ten, uh, 17 to 22. Before that, let me just introduce. Uh, okay, all your batteries. Okay. Right, uh, while the batteries are being changed, I think uh, you can hear me. Um, I, I've been a Christian for 40 years, and uh, uh, me and my wife, uh, we have served the uh, church in PJ and in Subang Jaya uh, over the last uh, 40 years. So because of that, so because of that, uh, we have uh, uh, very good experience uh, in the, uh, attending churches on the one hand, but on the other hand, we have also uh, spent some time ministering uh, one to another. Uh, in the local church. So um, we have two grown children. Uh, one is 31 years old, the other one is 27, and uh, they are all working uh, people. So they, they, they are established on their own, they, they have their own lives, uh, but they are close to us. So this morning we're going to cover Mark chapter 10, verse 17 to 22. Let me just read the verses to you first. Okay. Oh, let me just read to you the verses first. Eh? The rich young man. As he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honour your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And let's just have a, another word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we are so thankful that we can come together to worship you in this country. We treasure the freedom of worship that we have individually and collectively. We thank you, God, that we can start a church in the midst of a city like this. And thank you, God, for all the leaders past and present in this congregation. And this morning, even as we get together to listen to your word, we ask, O oh God, that your, for your spirit to come upon us, anoint us and help us to understand what is your intent and the purpose of your word for us today. So we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we'll go back to the earlier slides. Winning honors. Now, do you know what is this Madeline for? Anyone? What is this for? Like 
Yeah. Medal for winning? Oh, okay. This is the uh, medal for called the Order of the British Empire. Those who are Brits here would probably understand it better. OBE, yeah? The OBE is a very uh, prestigious, uh, what they call, uh, award given by the Queen of England, right? Uh, Queen Elizabeth. And uh, uh, more than that, uh, people who have done uh, good to the nation of, of the United Kingdom, they are recognized in this manner. Of course, there are several grades. At, at the very top, you will be called a knight, okay? At the very bottom, you are called a member of the OBE or the MBE, okay? The MBE, yeah? So, awards are very important. In Malaysia, we call them datops, tansuris, right? So, it's a bit different, but Commonwealth countries have now used their own uh, way of recognizing people who have done work economically, socially, uh, even among societies in education and so on, right? For your sacrifices that you make for the nation, the country recognizes you. Okay, the personalities who have won. Of course, my favorite is David Beckham. Manchester United. Huh? I'm an MU fan, right? So, okay, don't, don't throw stones at me or don't throw cups at me. Yeah, but uh, no, I love him yeah, in the early days itself, but now today I don't quite like him. Yeah? Okay, so anyway, how would you feel if God were to put a sword on your shoulders and proclaim you disciple of the year? Or he proclaimed you well done, good and faithful servant. How would you feel? Naturally, I think we would feel exalted. When God recognizes us, we would feel glad. Our hearts will be glad. This is one of the greatest achievements in life if God recognizes us in one way or another. Okay. The rich young man. You notice that in this narrative uh, in Mark, is also found in the other passages of the Bible. Uh, Matthew 19 and then also in Luke 18. Now in Luke 18, the rich young man is called the rich young ruler. Okay, it gives us a more indication about who he is. The rulers in uh, New Testament times, uh, in the time of Jesus, are those people who are Pharisees. The scribes and the Pharisees are called the rulers. Uh, these are the lawyers, the people who know the law very well. And they are people who basically would be the, the final authority on matters of religion. Huh? And you know that Israel was a theocracy. So because of that itself, uh, these people have a very important role uh, to deal with litigation, to deal with uh, what they call uh, disputes, uh, you know, trade uh, agreements uh, between families, marriages, and so on. They have a role to play, and they're very important. And this rich young ruler tells you a few things. He's rich, okay? He's rich. Right, so he came to Jesus. Notice, he knelt down before Jesus. Now, why did he kneel before Jesus? Because Jews don't bow down to anybody. Yeah, because the first uh, commandment uh, in the Ten Commandments says that uh, I'm the Lord your God. Huh? Second commandment: Do not bow down and worship any idols, any objects in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, or in the seas. That's what. You know, the Ten Commandments, the first two commandments will tell you that you cannot bow down, but he knelt down before Jesus. So because of that, they, we presume that he had an inkling or have a good idea that Jesus is divine. So that was the part. So, but let's go to a, another part of the 
scriptures and another part itself. There are three lessons I want to share with you uh, from today's passage. Number one, uh, the pride before God. What? How does pride come into our relationship with God? That's one. Number two, the problem with disguised idolatry, right? Christians can have idols in our heart. We can have something else that master us, that take control of our lives and our decision making on a daily basis. So disguised idolatry is unseen. It's not on the surface itself. Beneath you, there is another master. Thirdly, how can we inherit uh, eternal life? Right? It's something for us to talk about and think about. Pride before God. Now, the thing is, this uh, rich young ruler, number one, bear in mind he's of Jewish heritage. If you look at Genesis 17, for instance, uh, God promised Abraham before he was called Abraham. God promises Abraham that he be the father of many nations. One. Number two, he and his descendants will be given the promised land, a piece of land that will be fruitful and they will be theirs uh, for their possession forever. Yeah. So that was two major promises in Genesis 17. So naturally, uh, the a Jew would assume that he is a part of the family of God. Yeah, he's part of the family of God, and so therefore he has every rights, you know, uh, you know, to God what God has promised to give. So therefore, the Jewish heritage is very important in the mind of any typical Jew at the time, and especially more so to Pharisees. Number two, a Pharisee. A Pharisee is learned in the Torah, uh, the five books of the Old Testament, the first five books. He's learned in the law. Not only the commandments, but also the, all the subsidiary legislation, rules and regulations is familiar. And many of them memorized by heart as well. Yeah? Number three, he's a fervent, this young man, he's a fervent keeper of the commandments. That's why when Jesus asked him, do you know the commandments? Do not murder, do not commit adultery, and so on and so forth. He says, yes, I have kept them since I was a boy. Yeah? So they were fervent keepers of the commandments and finally he was rich very well endowed maybe because of his parents maybe his father is another Pharisee and because of that he is very well endowed financially he had lots of possessions that's what the scripture says okay who then could be more qualified to receive eternal life than this rich young ruler yeah he's well qualified he has all the credentials to call himself a real believer, someone who is deserving of eternal life. Let's look a little bit deeper. The truth about Jewish heritage before God. Now Paul, St. Paul, he has a lot of things to say about being Jewish. Number one, from Romans 9, verse 6, eh? you have from verse 6 to verse 8, it says that for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham, because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of a promise are counted as offspring. In other words, Paul was saying that just because you are Jewish biologically, it does not mean that you are 
the inheritance of the promise of God. It doesn't mean that at all. Yeah? It is the people who are of the promise are those people who are like Abraham, people of faith, people who believe in the Almighty God. Right? Number two, Romans 9.27, and this is from Isaiah, and Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of sons of Israel are be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant will be saved. Yeah? So again, in God's election, only a remnant will be saved. Because God is a discerner of your heart, my heart. He knows right, whom he has elected. So that's about Jewish heritage. Now, what about being a Pharisee of God? You know, you look at the interaction of Jesus with the Pharisees, he has been very much less than pleasant. Now, it's not that Pharisees cannot be good people. It's not that Pharisees cannot be people who really trust God. It, cannot, it is not that. But Jesus has a lot to say about the majority of the Pharisees. He says this in Matthew 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Why? Because Pharisees put up a lot of obstacles for people to come to know God. The very fact that the rules and regulations, they become an insurmountable obstacle for people coming to know God. You know, I had a Jewish friend uh, who was from India. Yeah, I had a Jewish friend and uh, his mother was Jew and his father was not. But anyway, he, he accepted Judaism as his religion and uh, he fixed uh, timers to his switches because on the Sabbath, he's not supposed to switch on even the lights. So the lights have to be switched on by timers. So everything is electronically done. So he cannot do any work. And he's not supposed to walk how many hundred steps on the Sabbath as well. Yeah? So it's very difficult. So he has to get someone to fetch him, to bring him to the synagogue, the nearby synagogue to worship in Singapore. Yeah. Okay, then Matthew 23, verse 33. Woe to you hypocrites, you brute, you serpents, you brute of wipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? These are hard words. God is speaking very tough words, using tough language to the Pharisees. Why? Because they put up so many obstacles to prevent people from going into the kingdom of God. They make it so burdensome to enter the kingdom of God. They themselves will not enter, neither will they allow anyone to enter as well. Let's look at the next one, the truth about keeping the commandments. Now, bear in mind, Ten Commandments, the commandments here in this passage refer specifically to the Ten Commandments, not the rest of the law, but when it mentions the law, it means the whole Torah, all of the subsidiary rules and regulations. Yeah? Now, in Mark chapter 10, uh, the commandments, well, it's not in, the, in Deuteronomy 5, Deuteronomy 5, where the Ten Commandments are listed, four of the first Ten Commandments relate to God. The worshipper relating to God. From uh, Commandment number 5 to Commandment number 10, the worshipper relates to one another, uh, people. So they are basically two sides of the coin. Yeah? But then, one day, a Pharisee came to Jesus Again, another Pharisee. Pharisees always like to test Jesus with tough questions. So he asked this uh, uh, Jesus uh, in Matthew 22, Teacher, 
which is the greatest commandment in the law. He would expect Jesus to quote one of them, but he just did not. Okay, because if you quote one of them, then you denigrate the other commandments. Yeah. So what Jesus said was this: You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. Surprising, eh? Okay. Two, and the second is like this: You shall love your neighbors as yourself. On this, the two commandments and the prophets. Uh, no, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. In other words, the ten commandments are gelled together. No, they they can be simplified into two broad commandments. One is loving the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. Now remember that the ten commandments are applicable today. They are relevant today. However, please remember God does not look at people following the letter of the law. But he wants people to look at the spirit of the law, and so because of that, the when he posed to the rich young ruler in Mark chapter ten, "Have you obeyed these commandments?" He quoted one by one, you know, and the young man said, "Yes, I have kept them since、uh, my youth, or since I was a boy." But then, what did Jesus say? One thing you lack. Go sell all that you have, and give it to the poor. See, the poor were his neighbors. The poor he sees every day. The poor he will not want to associate because they are filthy, they are dirty, maybe homeless. But these are his neighbors under the law, which many of us sometimes forget. Okay, God wants us to love Him. And the fullness of our ability, God also wants us to love our neighbors, the people who are injured, the people who are sick, the people who are unwanted, the people who are homeless, also like ourselves. He wants us to love them as if we love our, the way that we love ourselves. And because of that, you find that the young man actually did not fulfill the law. He did not fulfill the law, right? So. He said, "One thing you lack, and therefore it's also pertinent for you and I to ask, what is that one thing that we really lack in our love for our neighbor, in our love for our Almighty God?" Okay, crazy, crazy rich Asians. You have watched this movie. How many of you have watched this movie? Raise your hands. Oh, okay, all right. Now you know that the, the, some of the Asians.、Uh, I mean, I'm Asian. Okay, I'm not rich. Okay. I would like to be sometimes, you know, myself in that kind of、uh, movie, you know,、uh, to be part of the rich. But I'm not、uh, rich. But I'm rich eternally、uh, before God. I'm rich, so I praise God for that. Now, in the、uh, I will talk about the movie. But the thing is, there are people who are filthy rich, and in the scriptures itself, I mean, in the in the movie itself,、uh, Michelle Yeoh was quoting First Corinthians in a Bible study with all the other ladies and stuff. Amazing, yeah.、Uh? Amazing. Okay, the truth about rich being rich in God's kingdom. Number one, the Bible never opposes anyone who is rich. Please bear that in mind. It is okay to be rich.、Uh, ethically, it is definitely okay to be rich. You are rich. You are poor. This is part of God's overall design in society. Yeah, 
the rich can minister to the poor and the poor can show to the rich the example of being faithful to God in the midst of poverty. So remember, God does not discriminate the rich or the poor. Okay, he accepts both categories as his people. That's one. Number two, there were biblical figures in the Bible who were rich. Okay, Job, for instance, he was rich. Joseph of Arimathea, the one who took the body of Christ, uh, wrap it up after the crucifixion, he is rich. Nicodemus, a Pharisee, he is rich. Okay, Philemon, right? Uh, the, the slave owner, he is rich. There are many, many rich people in the Bible. Now, King Solomon is uh, the richest of all the rich as well. So, there are rich people in the Bible, and that's okay. So, riches and Christian discipleship is not, are not mutually exclusive. That means that you can be rich and you can be a Christian disciple. You can be a disciple and you can be rich as well. Or you can be poor as well. Yeah? Now, however, God is displeased with uh, about those who trust in riches and worship wealth. I seen a person who came to talk about self-success, how to be successful in my uh, company. He took up a $50 note and he kissed it, I love you. <laughs> he says, no religion opposes loving money. So I showed to him the scriptures itself, you know, from First Timothy. Uh, the love of money is the root of many evils. Yeah, it's the root of many evils. Yeah, so God is displeased with people who are obsessed about wealth, who are obsessed about getting more and more. And today, there are many such people. I worked for a man before who says to me in the later, well, when I ended my career with him, uh, with his company, he said that he will not take, he will not buy any business that does not give him a billion ringgit profit a year. Big ambitions, huh? He's very big ambitions. Of course, it's a billionaire and he's probably the second richest or third richest man in Malaysia. So there are people who are really rich and they continue to be obsessed about getting rich. It is not enough. Having 10 billion US dollars, it is not enough. He wants it to double, triple, and so on and so forth. Yeah? Riches and obsession about getting wealthy can become a god in our lives. Huh? And this can derail our faith and our walk with God because it's unreal. To the normal Christian on the, on, on, at the villages, to the homeless, the riches that we have is unreal. Yeah? When bundled together with our faith, it's going to be unreal because we are so obsessed about wealth and the appearance of wealth. Okay, the danger about being rich in material things. Huh? Uh, Matthew 6, 24 says, Jesus said, No one can serve two masters. Either you hate the one or love the other, or you will be devoted to the other one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. In other versions, it says you cannot serve God and mammon. Because mammon or money has a potential to be a God in your life, in my life. So let's be watchful. Huh? Jesus said very clearly, you cannot serve God and mammon. Number two, after talking to the uh, rich young ruler who walked away, then Jesus said to his disciples in Mark 10, he says, how difficult children, how difficult it is uh, to enter the kingdom of God. Uh, it is easier for a camel to enter through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The rich man that he refers to is like the rich 
young ruler who made a choice, who made a choice that the wealth and the riches they have are is really the master of their destiny. Yeah. So that is a danger. That there is definitely a danger in acquiring much riches and being obsessed with the amount of numbers you have in your account. Have you seen a man with a, a ten? Uh, with a bank account balance of 10 zeros and uh, one in front. Uh, I mean, it's frightening when you see that kind of bank accounts itself. Eh? All right. So, now, what i like to uh, what I suggest to you is this young, rich, rich young ruler has an idol. He has an idol. He has a, a master over him beneath the surface. On the surface, he's a religious man. He upholds the law very well. But at, at beneath the surface, he is beholden to wealth, the money God. Yeah? To wealth, the money God. So he wanted to have Jesus in his life. See, remember he knelt down before Jesus? And he called Jesus good teacher. And Jesus says, nobody is good except for God. So this man, this rich young man, he knows what he is doing. But yet at the same time, he was not willing to let go of the other God. Because Jesus says, one thing you lack, go sell all that you have and give it to the poor and come, follow me. Okay. In Luke 9, verse 23, he said the same thing. If anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Becoming a Christian requires us to follow Jesus and discarding all the hindrances in our lives that prevent us from being effective disciples in Jesus Christ. Yeah? So, Jesus wanted the rich young man to know how to trust God rather than trust his riches. But the man walked away from God. He walked away from God. He had no chance for eternal life because he chose his uh, great possessions, his, his gold, his silver, his diamonds, whatever he has to sell, his land, acquire, uh, uh, what do you call, that he has acquired, whatever he has inherited, but these are not compatible with the eternal life that he was seeking. Okay, what about us? Okay, number one, you are born into a Christian family. You have attended Sunday school, you have attended church for 18 years, okay? Now, you have been baptized through the waters of baptism, you are well educated, uh, whether you have a diploma, you have double degrees or triple degrees, and then you know a lot about theology. You know a lot about theology. And one more thing that I scribbled down here in my notes that I forgot to, to highlight in my uh, paper, but I said this. Do we also have another idol or master in our lives? Right? Um, I know a man who was serving God. But he needs a beer every day. Every day he needs a beer. His fridge has plenty of beers. Okay? And he would have a beer uh, in the late afternoon. Without fail. One beer a day. He wouldn't get drunk or whatever. But he likes the beer. Can he do without a beer? He said no. Is it an idol? Maybe. We don't know. Huh? So we don't want to judge him. Okay. But the point is, it is impertinent for you and I to ask ourselves this important question. What about us? Do we have the right to inherit eternal life? 
And then another pertinent question. Yeah? Not, not too long from now, I will end. Can we inherit eternal life? Romans 8. Yeah? Paul says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Titus 3, But when the kindness and love of God, our Saviour, appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Saviour, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Now, the Bible never talks about how we can inherit eternal life. But the Bible talks about us being heirs, people who have believed in God. We become heirs of the kingdom. That means we inherit the kingdom of God. Yeah? So that is, we're going to become a citizen of the kingdom of God, and all the glory of God will come upon us when we all the riches of God is available to us in the kingdom of God so we can inherit the kingdom of God but we cannot inherit eternal life we cannot inherit eternal life. the Bible never talks about inheriting eternal life okay but we can receive eternal life even today so later on I will have an invitation to all of you those of us who have not prayed personally to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior you are most welcome to pray together with me, with Pastor Craig and other leaders. Yeah? So how then do we receive eternal life? I have put uh, a, a number of scriptures there. Romans 3.23 For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yeah? Number two, Romans 6.23 Sorry. Sorry, I, I have sorry, I, I got the wrong verse. So, Romans 3 23, for, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. John 3 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Okay? So the thing is that these verses already tell you that first of all, we are sinners. We are sin to the very core of our lives. Young children, they are already sinners. Once they have understanding, they begin to sin uh, easily. There is no doubt about it. Okay? So for all have sinned. The scriptures say very clearly, for all have sinned. There is no one who have not sinned. I tried to share uh, the gospel with uh, uh, someone who was a great, uh, what they call, uh, he, I mean, he was my benefactor. Really, he has, I mean, he has done so much for me. I was so glad that I tried to share with him the gospel. He says, I cannot accept your gospel, Stephen. He says, my grandmother is such a kind soul. How can she be a sinner? This is the understanding of mankind. But precisely, God says the opposite. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And God says very clearly that whoever believes in the only begotten Son for his life, for his work on the cross and his resurrection, he promises that we will have eternal life. Yeah? Romans 5, 8, But God 
demonstrates His love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Right? Christ died for you and me, even though we were undeserving of uh, the sacrifice that He made, but He died for us in, you know, to show us God's sincerity in reaching out to us and bringing us back to His kingdom. And Ephesians 2, verse 8, 9, just to make it very clear, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Nothing to do with your works, he says. Huh? Nothing to do with your own works. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. There's no good person that is good enough to enter the kingdom of God. There's no one who comes with a good qualification, good set of qualifications, and says, here, I am ready to enter the kingdom of God. God says, no. Whatever we have before God is depraved, really. Romans 10, 9 to 10. Now, how do we actually come into, uh, cross into the door of, uh, of, uh, of heaven, into eternal life? Okay? So, if, uh, Paul says, um, if you con no, uh, Paul says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. With the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. So it's, a, it's actually a very simple uh, approach. Of course, I, I'm not saying that we just mindlessly utter these words itself. You know, I, I, I pray the sinners pray, but I, I pray mindlessly, I have no desire to follow Jesus. Then it's no point. Then it's not true. Because God knows whom He has chosen. God knows whom are the elect but we must come before God with a sincere heart, wanting to know God personally. Now, you remember that you know, before the rich young ruler met with Jesus, there were a group of children who came uh, with their parents, and their parents were putting their children to Jesus, asking him to touch them and bless them. And the disciples were not happy. They rebuked the parents and said, please take away the children. But what did Jesus say? Okay, uh, and they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. Okay, so Jesus said, "Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for lo, such belongs to the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever who does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. A child is naive, innocent, simple faith. He comes to God, and God receives him. Right? Likewise, so we do not need so much complex theology. Okay." I, I have heard messages that are so difficult to understand. Yeah? But God does not preach a very difficult theology to us so that we become muddled up, confused. We have 10 Bible school before you can be saved. No. Today, Jesus says, you come to me with simple faith and you believe in what God has said through these verses and you pray the sinner's prayer, you invite Jesus into your life, then you are saved. Okay. Now, I misquoted uh, the first John 5, 11 to 12. I have the early part of the early verses, which I didn't quote. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. Uh, uh, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. This is the promise that God has given to us. Uh, very clear. If you have the Son of God, because the Son of God has eternal life. If you have, if you know, if you have Jesus in your life, 
then you are safe. Okay. Luke 9 and 23, I've already quoted to you before. If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Right? So, will you follow Jesus and receive his gift of life today? Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we are so thankful to you that in spite of the limited understanding and the knowledge that we have, we can have your attention. You are the great almighty God, the all-wise God, the omniscient God. You know the hearts of each and every one of us here. And so God, we invite you to do a great work continually. For those who of us who have known you, Father, I pray that you will bless their discipleship journey. And for those who have not known you, Father, I pray that you will convict them to come forward to the church leaders, to pray together, to find Christ once and for all. And so for this morning, we are so grateful that we can be together to share in the nourishment of your word. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. So it's obviously no coincidence when Luke puts his gospel.